This week on Kettle of Fish, actress Fiona Dourif stops by to talk about going where the universe takes her. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debates, hate, or arguments allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. All righty. Welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show after the show, the talk after the talk, the 30-minute comedy money shot after the one hour of political foreplay. Everybody, maybe not everybody, some people might know me, Nick the Saucy One Cat Source, along with our fabulous producer who keeps our sickly, uninsured show on life support, Dee the Producer. Hello, Dee. Yes, I, you know... Some days it's harder than others. No, I, I can't help but giggle every time I hear the intro right now. It's, I'm, I don't know. Yeah, you do a great Bart Curlish. I tried, man. You uh, are that's... a masterful. Maybe you could be a stand-in for <laughs> no. the live Broadway show when it no, goes I don't, live. I don't, I don't know if I'm quite ready for that, but no, I, I love the character, so I'm just like super psyched. Um, All right, well, we've got our co-host yes. still out there yes. in the wings waiting, and Mrs. Fern. Um, we'll lead the moniker off today because it sounded silly, right, Fern? Me and I, I hate introducing myself. No, no, you absolutely should introduce yourself. And the moniker is the moniker for me personally is perfect for kettle of fish. You know, if you have all the water puns with the the moist voice, yes. and I was actually going to make a kettle of fish pun, which I don't normally do because I am just swimming in excitement today. <laughs> Ah, very good. Well, I tell you the problem. So, like, for some reason, the saucy moniker works on the political show and stuff. And as I was introducing myself and just putting the word saucy and the name of the show together, it just reminded me of something you would see in a supermarket freezer. Like, Captain Saucy's Kettle of Fish Sticks are. Like, it just sounds so commercial. Hey, I'd eat that. Maybe. Yeah, well, no comment. Anyways... Let's make some announcements uh, yes. here because we're very excited that today's show is finally happening. We're Who we got coming excited. up on our programs and where? Okay, well, uh, you can go to tincan.media to catch this and everything else. Wait, 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 stop. You're saying go to tincanmedia.com. No, just tincan.media, push the enter button, and there you're there. You're just there. It's that simple. Um, so we have got tons of stuff going up we've got our next political animals of pride episode um which of course features you guys with buick audra and george ward um we're gonna have activist eleanor goldfield joining us and i'm super excited to hear everything she's been doing because um, i know she's she is out there fighting the fight man like she's on the front lines time. we're just back Always here busy. just kind of yeah. talking but she's on the front lines yes and we're also gonna have um alex white from white mystery come and i i guess it's it's kind of going to be as long as this isn't the, the last time we have her it'll be it'll be good no she's still got a year left it's year nine of the white mystery experiment but that means there's only one more and and that makes me sad in my face because it's just or fun. you know experiment finished conclusions drawn white mystery yeah. goes on another 10 years yeah, that would be cool. That would be very cool. I could handle that. Um, and we also, of course, want to remind everybody that we have our brand spanking new vodcast um, now available on tincan.media. It is Jim Bruce's Bath Talks, 
where he squeaky clean podcast. Or yes, podcast. it is squeaky clean. He hops in the tub with the suds and bubbles and talks about whatever happens to float his bubbles, I guess. And yeah, float his bubbles. Nice. Yeah. Um, and and no bath salts, so you don't have to worry about him no flipping out and like going salts. outside and like trying to eat a gopher. That's true. And, and we do have a few other things um, in the works coming up. Um, so just keep an eye out. We've also got a couple new episodes of Life is Hard um, up for your listening pleasure. And uh, we also have a new episode of Uncustomary Love with Miss Uncustom Mary herself. Uh, that's going to be on tomorrow. And rumor has it there may be another special guest on that episode. So definitely check that out. And also, we're going to throw an episode up Wednesday about yes. our road trip to Baltimore that led to a long night of vomiting on my shoes. You know, it kind of was like a very colorful, drug-free, high-alcohol, fear and loathing in Las Vegas kind of thing. It like was a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. <laughs> Anything involving April is. Yes. Yes, it was. All um, right. So is the excitement level where it needs to be? Are we happy for today's guest? I think we're, we're simmering. We, we've got a nice simmer going on. Yes. I'm so super duper excited. Super excited. I'm trying to keep the lid on the pot, but I'm having a, a hard time because yeah. I'm just boiling over with excitement. Yes. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Another <laughs> fish pun. I am on a roll today. Keep on coming. All right, Dee, who do we got coming in right now? Oh, my God. Today from uh, umpteen things, but most recently, Cult of Chucky um, and Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency and probably the most amazing miniseries I've ever seen. Um when we rise, yes, yeah, when just kind of jumped on our radar. Oh here. my god, amazing stuff! Of course, so good. Miss Fiona Duraf, yay, yay. Fiona! Hi. <laughs> Thank How are you, you guys? so much for calling in. I'm so glad the universe finally brought you to our humble little podcast. <laughs> Well, everything is connected. So, um, no, thank you for inviting me. I, uh, I, uh, I'm flattered, and I really enjoyed your song. Thank you. I worked hard on it. I used to do punk rock, <laughs> really so it. it's quite a departure from my angry punk days. <laughs> no, it was it was very charming. It had me kind of like bouncing along. I know. Ah, right? I'm really into it, the yeah. whole thing. <laughs> it had the exact effect that I wanted to, and I love being charming. <laughs> All right, let's start off with this. I told you pre-show, we've been singing your praises on and off air. Um, of course, you are on Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective, which is based on the Douglas Adams novels. I'm a huge Douglas Adams fan on top of it, so double fanboy. Your bar curlish, I mean, I've been singing your praises. It is, Aww. it was, and is the most, I think, stellar performance of 2016, hands down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, thank you. Can I? Can I? Can you? Can you work for me? This, this is what I need. <laughs> oh yeah, you want me to go out there and pound the pavement? Be your promoter. <laughs> you be my publicist. There you um, go. Yeah, I... thanks, man. I, it was. It's really. It's really fun. Um, it, it's not often that women um, get to play such a kind of you know unique and unsexualized weird character. So it was. It, it almost feels like it's done for me a little bit. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just a breath of fresh air um, to be able to play something like that. Well, let me tell you what turned me on to this character. Um, because when this performance started out, and this is what I think makes it so exceptional, when the show starts out, I'm watching Bart, 
and I'm like, wow, this is just like an amoral, raving fucking lunatic and a bit of a victimizer, right? Because you see her just kind of chopping people up with a machete. But in the course of eight episodes, this character evolves where, like, she's not a victimizer. She's the victim, right? Like, she's just feral kid. Oh, yeah. No childhood, never had an ice cream cone, never been to the zoo, and she's kind of being pinballed around by the universe to do its dirty work. And you really start to yeah, feel exactly. the character <laughs> and that evolution. And I got to tell you, the transition you make during those eight episodes from just like psycho serial killer to kind of like this victim of the universe, that's what I think makes the whole character, your performance special. And I don't want to blow too much smoke here. I, you know, I, I don't want to totally go fanboy out, but I would put that performance <laughs> against like Brian Cranston's Walter White any day of the week. That performance oh, well, was amazing. You. And it's just, um, what do you yes. have to do to get into that mind frame? I can't even process this. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm glad. I, I mean, I, I think of her as, as almost a child. Um, yeah. or as definitely as an innocent. I mean, I don't think yeah. it, she doesn't uh, have a, um, a vicious bone in her body really. Um, but is, you know, it, it's, it, it's kind of this, this, um, mystical world where I am, you know, I'm like a torn, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Um, and don't really understand that it's, that it hurts people really. Cause they're just supposed to die. So, um, yeah, it, yeah, it is. A, it's a juxtaposition that I'm glad. I'm glad that people saw. Um, I, I, it's funny, actually. Just last night, I was listening. BBC America had done a focus group, and I saw, I saw this focus group, and they talked about the show. Uh, they were recorded, and they talked about the show, and then also the different characters. And there was there was a, a few people that were like, "Oh, Bart." I guess they had only seen three episodes. Bart Curlish is this like maniac homicidal killer. Yes. And I was like, I, I just, yeah, I just didn't, I just don't see her that way at all. But in um, the beginning, before you her, know anything about her, it's just, you see yeah, this woman walk yeah. up and machete somebody. That's how you're introduced. To her. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know there's a lot more killing to come too. Wow. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, you know, I have to practice the voice a lot, which I, which I do pretty much every day. I'm in Vancouver working on the show shooting season two, actually. So we just, uh, tomorrow is our first filming day. So I like, I work on it, um, the, you know, a little bit every day and, um, for the four months that I'll be up here. Well, let me ask you this then. Did, did you feel when you read the script, did you feel an immediate connection to the character or was it so foreign to you that you had to creatively kind of build a connection with her? Or did you really? <laughs> to the character off the bat um well they didn't know what they so it's such a kind of big character that they were just looking for they, they basically said these are the audition there was a huge long monologue they and a couple scenes and they said make big choices um and when i when i first when somebody first described it to me i was actually at dinner with another actress working on when we rise and she described the character and I thought she had an audition and I didn't. And I thought I was like, Oh my God, I'm perfect for that. <laughs> Just cause they were looking, they were, they were looking for something that was, that was kind of unsettling and, and odd, very weird. And that's something that's and a bit broken my, my career. Yeah, broken, and that you can't. That that in, the words intense and oddball have 
kept me from television jobs so many wow. times in the past 10 years where I've been, I've tested for things, which means you go through this long process. And at the very end, it's between like, you have to sign all this paperwork is between you and, you know, one or two other girls. And over and over again, I wasn't getting the job because they thought it was too intense. And so when I saw when I met this character, I was like, Oh God, I could do that. And then it took me like a week to find her because you know, it, uh, because I'm doing a voice and the physicality is different. You know, she's Bart is somebody, Bart is not, Bart is ultimately a, a, a person, but doesn't live, doesn't experience the world like anybody else does. You know, I'm like a chosen person. Right. Sort of. Um, I'm like an element or, or what Max would call a glitch in the universe. So me and Dirk Gently are sort of made up of the same thing. And the rowdy tree. Fun. Yeah. I know you wanted to jump in here. <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's so funny because um, Dirk Gently came on my radar because I was a huge fan of Wilfred with Elijah Wood, and I mm-hmm. love the dark humor and the quirky, um, you know, plot storyline. And when I started watching Dirk Gently, and I, I fell in love with your character immediately. Fell in love with what you were doing. I was like, wow, this is really amazing. But the thing is, is that you're so disjointed and so disconnected. Even though you're connected, you're very disconnected from everything else. And I think people can relate to that because at some point in everybody's life, they feel disconnected from like the populace or, you know, this one group or that one group and they feel kind of on the outside and you have that empathy. You have, you have actually made people feel empathy and love for a serial killer, which is something absolutely <laughs> incredible. Well, There's not too many people who could do that. I would say universal <laughs> assassin, right? Not really a serial killer, like an assassin for the cosmos. Well, I mean, it is just kind of her job. She's got to do it, but you still love her, and you fall in love with her, and you feel so bad for her. Like, yeah, she's got to kill people. When you're Bart Curlish, it's what you do. It's like a Geico commercial. It's like, when you just do it. So um, I just thought it was incredible. <laughs> just your portrayal of her incredible but just the empathy factor and how you just really made people fall in love with this quirky dark character is just so good so i just wanted to thank you for that because i think it's amazing it's, uh, it, it really shows through but you oh, know, thank hearing, you guys so so much hearing us fanboy and fangirl out i mean do I you <laughs> realize the impact of that character as especially as you're doing that first season do you realize how special it is or are you like wow this is just kind of charming little quirky show or are you like wow we've really got something special here <laughs> um i can't, so I, I i can tell you that i i that when we were making the show and and when we're at the table reads and stuff like everybody there knew that that we're making something really different um, and there's a, there was like a level of excitement on the show that that was kind of palpable and 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 really cool. I, I you know I can I can just tell you that I I love Bart. I think of Bart as like the loneliest person in the world, but but really ultimately an innocent. And um, I so I, I just hope that I mean I I you hope that other people see her like you do um and (laughs) i was just i was just hoping hoping for the best because you 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 kind i i i can't really think of the audience when i'm doing it um because it just becomes too scary right if you like think that millions of people are going to see it um that's interesting so So i'm just like yeah you really (laughs) think like that like you have to block that out 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I wouldn't be able to do anything. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to show up. No, it it, it comes a, a, it, because I have to make it about, and I, I think this is true of most actors, actually, I would, I would say. I, I have to make it about, um, you know, what's, give myself freedom to, like, have whatever happened in the moment happen. Um, and it has to be about, you know, the scene or the other person or the emotional value. It, it, like, it can't if it gets performative, it it gets bad. (laughs) Wow. So many nuances Um, to it. Yeah. I mean, there's just so (laughs) many dimensions to it. And I mean, I'm not an actor. I used to be in a punk band and the way I approach stage fright, I've told this story before is the first time I had to go sing on stage. I usually played bass, but they had a segment where I would sing. I wrote some songs and we had this blow up doll. That was a prop in our thing. I just went out on stage. I said, look, I told myself my internal monologue was like, Go out here and go as batshit crazy as you can. Embarrass yourself as much as you can because that's like starting at level 10 on Zelda and then having to play level to one the rest of your life. Just go out here so insane. Yeah. Everything else will be a cakewalk. So I just went out there yeah. and just went insane. And then everything was like, well, I'll never embarrass myself like that again. So I've got over the nervous. <laughs> like that's kind of how I approached it. But you're doing it the yeah, other that's, way. You're that's like terrific. Blocking the audience out and saying, I'm just coming here to do the work. I find that fascinating. Fern, I'm sorry. I'm fanboying all over the place. Here. No, it's cool. Actually, I just wanted to give you mad props for throwing out a Zelda reference because that is totally awesome. Um, I, I'm a huge Zelda fan, so the fact that you threw that reference out is good. But, yeah, I mean, it's go big or go home. And, you know, watching your Q&A, you're like, man, I've been doing this a long time, like 13 years. I think it was the Q&A on When We Rise. And you're like, I've been doing this for 13 years, and I'm just really starting to come into my own. But it, it's so, it's not performative. It is not disingenuous. You can really tell that you are there, you are in that zone. And some people you see, and, you know, maybe I'm hypercritical when I look, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's just, I mean, they're doing a good job, but it does seem disingenuous. And I see what you're saying about not making it, like, too performative like you are really there and that really translates well i mean you do a great great job you have a lot of talent so just want to again no, sing your praises and fangirl out but <laughs> it's, it's the truth yeah. all right I let me move on to a small the... circle in the middle of my living room <laughs> yeah yeah let that me move on to this you're in season two you're getting ready to film what can you tell us about it um where do you want to see bar curlich go and let me throw another thing at you how much creative control do you have if you see her going one direction but you know the producers or writers or whatever see her going in another <laughs> um there's a dialogue so i've known i've actually known max landis uh you know as a friend for for four years um so we uh we we like talk about it for sure um I can tell you that it's going to go crazy. <laughs> That's what we like <laughs> to hear. There's, there's, a, there's, there's, new, there's, there's a more kind of um, cohesive storyline. So there's, you know, there was, a, there was a mystery. It was centered on a mystery last season. And this, this season, you, you, there's a mystery, but you understand what the, the motives of all of the characters um, immediately in a way that I think is cool. And, uh, I can, uh, and there's new characters, uh, that are really, really fun. Um, there's kind of like a, a new Todd like character sort of that, wow. that is awesome. All right. I don't want to push you um, into saying too much. Cause I know you guys yeah, probably yeah. have a lot of things <laughs> on the wraps. Let's move on to the Chucky movies. 
Um, I just mm. went back and watched Curse of Chucky. Haven't watched it since it came out like four years ago. And I put it in to watch, yeah. and I was like sitting there with D because me and D are together. We live together, and I was like, cool. "Wow!" Like looking back at this movie now, this movie is a lot more psychological than the other Chucky mm. movies. And yeah, I know going sure. into yeah. the seventh installment here with Call to Chucky, I don't know with Call to Chucky, I don't know the premise of it, but from the title, and you could tell me if I'm varying off here, it sounds like there's going to be a bit of a Jim's, like a Jim Jones, like a Jonestown thing going on. <laughs> like, is it like, you know, Chucky's going to get a whole cult of followers that are going to go out and like hacking the city up like <laughs> the following, or am I way off base? There, you're, you're, you're off base, but oh. there, is a, there is a real twist. This movie, you're, we're, it, this this movie takes Chucky, does something with Chucky that has not been done in another movie. Sweet. So, is there anything you could tell us about Cold to Chucky, or is that a little bit hush hush now as well? Do you know when it's coming out? <laughs> but it just says twenty seventeen. Ah, yeah, I, it will probably be. It will probably be October. Uh, I would probably be right before Halloween, um, and we'll, we'll. I think we'll premiere at Fright Fest in London. Um, and yeah, man, there's, it's, it's, it's cool. I've seen the first cut. Um, and it's like Chucky on drugs. Think of it. It's like, it's, it's, it's a Chucky movie set in a, um, a mental hospital dealing with patients who like, who don't, it's, it's the, the people interacting with Chucky kind of don't know what's real and what's not in their lives. Now that sounds so when there's cool. Yeah, when there's this like walking psychopathic killing doll, they interact with it in a way that uh, that other people wouldn't in, a, in like a fun way, and it's good, man. I had the time of my life shooting that movie. Um, so I'm going to assume uh, yeah, it's the mental institution you were sent to. The end of Curse of Chucky, right? Exactly. Yeah. It oh is, my yeah. God. See how I connected those See? dots there, Fiona. <laughs> <laughs> See that just that's sounds terrific. That sounds awesome. Like I'm like, okay, can I go watch it now? Can we can we get tickets to Fright Fest? I mean, I know it's in London and that's like kind of far, but it would totally be worth it. I mean, <laughs> yes. So let me jump on this real quick. Then the tension level, working with your dad. Your dad, of course, is the voice. Brad Amdorf mm-hmm. is the voice of Chucky since the beginning, since the inception. I know I had read some interviews with you going into it. There was a tension level because you are working with your dad for the first time on this Chucky franchise. Has that been diffused at all now that you're going into your second performance in the Chucky movies? Or is it still kind of like nerve-wracking working with your dad? Well, so I don't work with my dad, which is, like, which is unfortunate. <laughs> I wish there was some kind of like great anecdote. But, but he's not on set. I mean, he, he did all of the ADR uh, in two days, um, and his voice was played you know, while, while the puppet was kind of, you know, I'm, I'm acting with a, a puppet that is controlled by like six men and, and women, uh, in green suits, you know, uh, and, and then they press play and it's my dad's voice kind of, you know, screaming that he's going to kill me. So that was weird. Uh, and I was a little more, it's just, it's actually, it, it's unsettling in a way that's only helpful um nice <laughs> yeah but he's not on, he's not on set he was on set a little bit in curse of chucky he had one scene right um but but other than that it's his it's his pre-recorded voice with a puppet 
and me. What's it like jumping into that world? Because you grew up with Chucky, right? I'm assuming there was like Chucky dolls all around your house when you were like 10 years old. And you that was a fantasy growing up. And now you've jumped into that world to perform in it. I can't imagine that transition. Yeah, it's so weird. I mean, it's the the coolest thing I I could have imagined. And it feels... um, yeah, I just, sometimes I just feel so lucky, you know? I'm just like, I can't, that, that I get to, also Don Mancini, who's the creator of the franchise, ended up being a very good friend of mine. And so I just, I feel like I'm, I feel like I, I'm part of this, like, family legacy that people really dig and that I really like. Um, I just, <laughs> you know, when I think too much about it, it, it feels, uh, it, just feel, it just feels like this crazy gift. You know, and and that people like, I mean, Chucky fans are the best. They're the best. Oh, yeah. I've seen some of the enthusiastic. I mean, I I can't I can't even tell you the the the, like the level of enthusiasm that that people have, you know, (laughs) written and pictures and awesome fan art and, um, you know, cool, like, books or like fan writing dedicated to to different subplots. It's just like, it's something that clearly people really, really like. And, um, and uh, you know, and then I get to be a part of it. It's just so awesome. I just can't even tell you how cool it is. Yeah. And I (laughs) can't even imagine. I mean, I've been a big Alice Cooper fan since I was like 10 years old. It would be like Alice Cooper knocking on my door and be like, you want to play bass in the band? <laughs> it's always crazy when I hear those stories, right? Like that guy from Journey, that Journey found on YouTube. And he's like, I've been listening to Journey for 30 years and now I'm in Journey. Like, I just can't imagine <laughs> that transition of being a giant fan of something, being a, growing up being a fan of Star Wars, like Samuel L. Jackson, and then being in Star Wars. Those are the most yeah. mind boggling transitions when it comes to like the creative world to me. It's just being a fan of something and then being part of something you were a fan of. That's just got to be an incredible experience. It's re- it's 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 really really cool. Um and and uh and all I can tell you is I just feel I sometimes I'm like astounded by how lucky I feel or how lucky I am. It's just, you know. It, and it's yeah, also I weird and I, I, and I can't even I, yeah, I don't even know what to say about it. Go ahead. It's also weird to think too. I saw that panel for When We Rise and I want to touch on that real quick before we got to go too. But one of the things that resonated with me about that is like you were like, "Hey, before I had this success with Dirk Gently, I was still bartending." And I heard an interview with Eminem and like when the Marshall Mathers album dropped, he was still washing dishes at a rip shack. Like I can't imagine like bartending and then going home and like watching myself in a Chucky movie. And, and like still have <laughs> like that's so bizarre to me. Like it seems like to have one foot in each world, like I'm still struggling and trying to pay my rent. But look, millions of people see me in Curse of Chucky. That seems so surreal to me that you're not just shifting gears and going from your universe of just working and, and trying to make ends meet to your universe of performing and acting and creating for a living. It seems weird to be steeped in I mean, I guess I'm kinda of steeped in both, but nobody knows who the hell we are. But for you to be steeped in both <laughs> Just seems crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's the deal that you make when you're trying to make a living in the arts, right? Is 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 it's like a roller coaster. It's up, except for a select few. You know, there's going to be high years and low years, and 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 it's good, right? It's like an exercise in being both big and small. You know, wow. I, I I yeah, Thanks. man. I mean, before I before I 
I was getting, I was testing for years before I finally, um, before people started to actually like hiring me with consistency. Um, so I knew that I was getting close. Um, but yeah, I was like, you know, I was, I was working at a bar supporting my mom. I was just like, yeah, I didn't have a lot of money. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, and then the luck changes, but that's not to say that it's going to be different in the future. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. And, and actors, you know, generations ago, like lived off of what people gave them. Right. Um, so I think that, I, I think if, if you're going to like commit to doing it, it's, uh, it, we should commit to, to the like uncertainty of it, you know? Could not agree more. And I know I had read somewhere that, you know, initially you didn't even want to go into acting. How did you end up actually getting into acting when initially you set out not to do that? Yeah, I set out not to do it. Um, I was working as a production assistant on um, a show. Was that Deadwood? Creator, it was Deadwood, yes. And the creator, David Milch, was, is this incredibly generous um you know, interesting, uh, wonderful man. And he, uh, he said to me one day that, um, he thinks I could be an actress and he was like, listen, I sponsor these people to go to, um, these classes. And I took a, I took a, um, improv acting class. I just went, I was just like, Oh sure. I'll, you know, I was like 22 or something and I went and the, you know, the experience of it was so exhilarating. It's like, you know, when, when it, when it works and when it happens, it's like flying, it's, it's, um, it's as alive as I could ever imagine feeling. Um, and I was like, Oh my God, if I could do this for my life, what would that be like? What if I could like make a living? <laughs> that would be insane. So surreal. And, uh, and then, yeah. And then I was trying and then, you know, and here I am like 13 years later. Just to show how connected we are. I was looking at your IMDb and I was like, man, she was in true blood and she was in Deadwood and Fern, who's our most famous or famous. Who's our most favorite person in the universe. I wanted oh the greatest God. people, most wisdom, Love, love, love William Sanderson. So grounded and so humble ah! and such a sweetheart. We love him so much. He's one of my favorite people in the universe. I love him. He's so great. Can't say enough good things him. about William. Yeah. yeah, we just I did a reunion show with William, a Larry Darrell and Darrell reunion show with him. And, I mean, he cool. is so humble and so down to earth, and he has so much wisdom in him. He, William Sanderson is, like, one of my favorite people on the planet. Oh yeah. Yeah. I uh I I I remember him and and uh and he was so he was so good in the show. And I hear that they sent out the Deadwood script. That's what I've been hearing. So, and, you know, a lot of that is hush, hush, too. And I'm, I'm always, every time we have William <laughs> on the show, I'm like, Deadwood, Deadwood, you got to tell us something. He's like, hey, you know what I know. You know, those decisions are made way above me. And I, as soon as I know something, I'll share it. All right, we got a couple minutes left. <laughs> have got to talk about When We Rise. One yes. of the things I wow. love about doing this podcast is it affords me the opportunity to get exposed to music, movies, books, just stuff I normally wouldn't have on my radar. And I, you know, I was YouTubing around trying to do my research for you, found a panel you were on for this, and it made me want to go watch the show. I've only got to watch about five episodes because of time constraints. But I got to tell you, man, this show, there is so much going on. And I know you had said in that panel 
that it really affected you. Like this was a project that really had an effect on your real world life mm-hmm. and kind of really made you check your privilege and kind of look at the world in different terms. And I just kind of wanted to, if you could reiterate what that experience was like, because I thought what you said on the panel was fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, when we rise is felt very important. I mean, it's, it, so what it is, is it's Gus Van Sant and Gus and Lance Black who did Milk um, wrote a five-part miniseries um, about the about leaders in the um, in um, LGBT community, activists, um, and the, the you know the human rights struggle from the '70s until 2007. And I play an activist named Dion Jones, who is at the front lines of um, the AIDS crisis uh, in San Francisco General Hospital when it hit in like 83. And also was, you know, a a leader in the second wave feminist movement. And um, I spent some time with her, somebody who's like devoted her life to helping other people and causes that she believes in. Um, And the, the experience of it was, yeah, it was, was, you know, life altering, uh, spending time with her and reading the books that I read to prepare for that role. And, you know, I mean, a lot of people worked really hard to get us where we are, you know, and, and I'm, I have a newfound appreciation for it and how recent the struggle is, you know, yeah. I mean, Dion only Jones a couple exits the, back. Like in the highlight of life, that's two or three exits back. Civil (laughs) rights movement, all that, two or three exits back. Yeah. In the 70s, women couldn't get loans to own property. You had to have a male cosigner. I mean, I had no idea it was that recent. You know, they bought a building in San Francisco and had trouble getting a loan because women women just didn't get loans to own property. Yeah, it's just like you just don't – you don't – (laughs) like I just I just don't think I don't think that – we're aware of, uh, of I, I, I'm, I'll phrase this. I don't think I was certainly not aware of um, how hard fought, uh, you know, my life, the quality of my life is. Props to you know, that we're even having. The wonderful so. thing about this show, like Nick said, is that we kind of expose ourselves to things that normally we, you know, either wouldn't be on our radar immediately or are on our radar, but we're like, yeah, I'll get to that. And When We Rise was one of those things that I saw, and I was like, I have to check this show out. But much like Dirk Gently, I kind of fell into some Fiona this way, and I am so grateful because this is a show that I really wanted to check out, but it it hit a lot of – I've been very emotional this week because I binge-watched the show. Actually, I haven't quite finished them. Um, One and a half episodes from the end, but it pushed a lot of emotional buttons for me because I remember when the AIDS cult was put down. I, You know, as a kid, a lot of my friends were worried about the newest Madonna album or New Kids on the Block or, you know, all that other stuff. I remember riding the bus and worrying about the soldiers who went into Kuwait. I remember watching the wall fall. I remember being very aware of social issues. And I grew up in Maine in a place where there wasn't a lot of diversity. You know, people really were accepting of one another. And when I moved down south, um, I saw the visceral hate, but I remember people getting beaten. I remember people getting killed. And I remember the quilt. And it pushed a lot of them. It brought back a lot of visceral emotions from when I was a child and not understanding why people were treating other human beings this way. I, I just couldn't wrap my brain around it. So this project, um, the work, 
is so important because it does provide a blueprint. It does provide a path for people to say, you know what, it's still not there. We're still not there. We still need to fight this. And it was highly emotional, highly important. And I just love that you are part of this project. I love the way that you um, portrayed your character. I think you definitely did her justice. I think everybody did. It was very powerful and very potent. And I think it's something that should be seen by everybody. So they have an understanding of how bad it was and how hard fought it was and how much farther we still have to go. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you. It felt like an activist. It felt, I mean, Dustin Lance Black has been an activist for the last five years, and 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 you know, this was a project with a purpose behind it to, you know, portray, you know, um, gay people as like complicated humans with, uh, you know, that the anybody can feel empathy for um and it, yeah it, it really it, it felt like that on set too it was it was really it was really wonderful again i feel so lucky well so lucky you know me and fern do a lot in the political world so let me throw this question out. i try not to bring politics into the kettle of fish show because this is kind of our unwinding show from our political show but let me kind of mm-hmm. ask this i just kind of want to get your perspective on it fiona does this project give you a sense of history and a sense of calm when when dealing with Donald Trump? Like, okay, we've seen this before. We've seen the Sedition Acts. We've seen the internment camps of World War II. Like, we've seen how ugly America can ver- veer off into the ditch, but it always kind of pulls itself back to this moral center. Or do you feel like what's going on with Donald Trump and the alt-right and Brexit and everything else, that this is something new and unsettling, new on a level? And I hate like Goodwin's Law, everything is Nazi Germany, everything's Hitler or whatever. But is this mm-hmm. like – we haven't seen this before, at least not since like you know 1938 Germany. Or is this like, mm-hmm. hey, we always kind of – you know, we go in one direction this way, and the pendulum always swings back historically in the other direction, and we'll find our center again. Where do you fall on that after having this experience? Yeah, um, I, I, I think that racism was a, a, a definite factor in the election. It, it, uh, it showed me that, uh, that America is much more racist than I've ever experienced being like a straight white girl, you know, the, the white privilege opened me up to, to noticing my white privilege in a way that I hadn't before. But I think, you know, ultimately people were voting, you know, against globalization. And, and that is something that, you know, as somebody who was not left behind by globalization, we need to to look at. I just think it's an incredibly complicated issue and it's what's happening in France and uh, what, you know, and also Brexit. I, I just think that there's honestly, I think there's too many people in the world and I don't, <laughs> I don't feel like I, 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 it feels like a lot of the problems um, stem for, from that for me. Uh, and I don't, I don't, I don't know a solution. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, you know, I, I think it's just a, a. I think that Trump and Le Pen and Brexit, you know, is is about people needing jobs and work. You know, and I think that and punching you know, down technology instead of punching up. Yeah. Like I punch up. I punch up against the corporations 
that are doing nefarious things and against like groups, the alt-right. And it seems like a lot of people want to punch down like the people that are poorer than them or weaker than them or more marginalized than them. And I don't understand this tendency of, of a segment of society to punch down instead of up. I always punch up. I see, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, I think that they just didn't see themselves in Hillary Clinton. Um, and I, I, I saw myself in Hillary Clinton. Uh, you know, and I, I think that I, I still want to give America the benefit of the doubt. Um, I don't think that the Trump voters were, um, you know, racist pigs. Uh, I think that people are hurting. True. Um, you know, and unfortunately, he's the guy who, uh, you know, he was the one who was the, the, you know, the most relatable. There's something that felt kind of real about him or something. Um, and yeah, I mean, on a personal level, this is terrible. But if I, I found out last year that my mother was born in Canada, so I got a Canadian passport the day he was Oh, lucky. <laughs> wow. Isn't that terrible? I feel like a traitor. I'm I so totally would have done it. I'm born on the 4th of July, and I totally would have done it. Like, I'm like, seriously, how far back? Because I'm Hispanic. And I'm like, how far back does it have to be before I can get a, a, a Mexico passport or whatever they have? You know, I'm like, can, hey, can I, I could have that? dual citizenship with Greece, and trust me, it's crossed my mind more yeah. than once. All right, we got to wrap up here. Fern, I know you want to get in here. Um, let's kind of end on a happy note here because I think we kind of veered <laughs> off. To... It was so upbeat uh, happened. My song had set the tone and all of a sudden. All right, Fern, what's up? Wow. You know, I was actually going to get in on the whole Donald Trump voter thing, and I don't know if this is a happy note or not, but I do agree with Fiona, and I do. I mean, you know how I feel about that, Nick. Like I, Rachel Maddow said it best when she said people wanted a thing. They didn't know what thing they wanted. They just know they didn't want the thing that they had and they wanted something else. They wanted something else to make themselves feel better. And Donald Trump, I think his blatant honesty, um, as abhorrent as I feel it is, it gave them a sense of security See, and safety. That it, yeah, he, like he was transparent, Moore. though. People want transparency. Michael yeah. Moore said they wanted a Motov cocktail to throw at the system. And I'm more on uh, like his mentality. People were angry, and they just wanted to blow the system up. No, I'm not going to say that they didn't want the system changed. I don't know about blowing the system up. I think there is a certain small percentage in this country that does feel that way, but I think most people just wanted to see it changed and changed for the better, and they felt with the transparency that they had, if you could be that horribly honest about what a human being he was, then obviously he was going to keep his campaign promises, which no politician ever does. Well, we see how well that's worked out. But um, I think they just wanted that transparent thing because really in leadership – you have to, A, protect your, the people underneath you. You have to protect your people, but yes. you also have to in, instill trust. And transparency instills trust, if you're blatantly honest. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it's working out well for this country. But that's just my no. opinion. Just an asshole with an opinion, so that's mine. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got to wrap this up. Fiona, it has been a delight on top of a delight having you on today. This was so great. I want to thank you so much for calling in. Oh, thank you guys. I had so I had so much fun. This was great. <laughs> right on. Um, can I, will, you tell... I look forward to, to listening to the future shows. Good. Yeah, I'll send you the to... Yeah, I'll send you the link and we'll definitely have to have you back when Dirk Gently Season Two comes out. When is that coming out and where can everybody find you online? So we are on BBCA.com. You can watch all of the episodes uh at BBCA.com. 
and uh, also Hulu now, I believe. And then everywhere besides America, we're on Netflix. Sweet. That's weird. Why not in America? <laughs> I don't know. Some, some long story. I know they <laughs> took you guys off of On Demand because I wanted to go back and watch a couple episodes. And I, you know, I, they had the voice saying I voiced and they were like, no, nothing available. I thought that was weird. Um, but it's good to see that you guys are on Hulu now. I'll have to go check you out again. Yep. I, I'm pretty sure we're on Hulu. Hulu and also BBCA.com. You can, you can actually just watch all of them there. They're immediately available. Yep. Right on. And where can we streaming. find you online? Do you have an Instagram or a Twitter or anywhere you want people to follow you at? Yeah, I'm on uh, Fiona Duff on Instagram. Uh, F-I-O-N-A-D-O-U-R-I-F is in Fred. And you'll see a little check mark. Um, and I'm there uh, on Twitter. That's my Twitter handle and also my Instagram. Very nice. All right. I want to thank you again, guys. I'm shutting up now. Fern D, take it away. Yeah. Uh, too late. Just too late. Come on now. No, I'm, I'm very excited to see what you've got coming up. I think you're doing a great job. And I'm glad you're, you're reaping the benefits or starting to reap the benefits. That's really cool. <laughs> 13 Thanks, years guys. in. That's paying one. a lot of dues. Yep. All right, Fiona. Thank you so, so much. It's been a pleasure, and we really look forward to speaking with you again. Really do. Awesome. Thank you, great guys. Time. Have a great one. You too. Bye. All right, guys. We will be back in two weeks. Two weeks? Yeah, two weeks with Jim Bruce. And you can go to tincan.media and check out his new show, Bath Talks. I think you've got, what, four episodes up on there, D? Uh, three or four, yeah, already. So definitely check that out. I know he said he's got 12 in the can, and he's slowly releasing them. So we'll get them up as soon as he releases them to us. And we're going to play some um, – we didn't have any Dirk Gently music that wasn't like techno music. So we're going to play the um, theme song from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And just to know what a nerd I am for Douglas Adams, I actually have a Hitchhiker's Guide tattoo on my back. Yup. So that tells you where I'm at. All right, guys. Goodbye. We'll have the archive up soon. Bye.